Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music. They're online at respectsextet.com. This is their 10th anniversary year, and there are lots of festivities going on. You can buy their albums. You can go see their 10th anniversary show here in New York City in October. All of that is available for you at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel. He designed the show's logo, and he tweets, and he's really funny, at twitter.com slash Rabel V-R-A-B-E-L. Thanks also to All About Jazz for carrying the show. You'll find it at their website, allaboutjazz.com. And there's also a widget that you can put in your own website that All About Jazz designed. And if you do that, let me know because I'll mention you in my newsletter. Thanks. My guest today is a vocalist from Ottawa called... I don't know. I walked down 7th Avenue in Brooklyn behind a lot of British people today. Maybe that's where that came from. Anyway, named is how we say it here down in this part of the country. Uh, She she is named Renee Yoxon, and uh, I met her uh, online, on Twitter, as so many people in the jazz world seem to communicate these days, and then had a chance to meet her during this uh, couple-month you know, kind of residency that she's been doing in Brooklyn, which is – as you're hearing this, almost over. Uh, she's been here to study, and uh, you'll hear more about that, and it's it's been really fun getting to know her. And I'll just mention, for people who are in Ottawa, she is doing a homecoming show, uh, returning triumphantly from her uh, eight weeks in New York City, on Monday, this coming Monday, August 22nd, at the Mercury Lounge. And it's at 10 p.m., and there is no cover, and then uh, she plays again on the 25th, and then there's some shows coming up in September. And all that is at her website, which is uh, in the show notes of this show. Renee recorded a duet CD with another person named Renee, and we'll hear more about him coming up in a minute, too. The CD is called Let's Call It a Day, and it opens with a Burt Bacharach, Hal David tune called The Look of Love. Take a lover's vow and then sing. 
My guest is Renee Oxon, and it sounds like we're recording this uh, at the Port Authority bus terminal, but we're actually just recording it here in Brooklyn. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks very much. Now, you have told me, and uh, I haven't seen any proof of this, but that if one were to drive far enough north in the United States, that above it is a country called Canada. This is true. The rumors are true. And in that in that country is a city called Ottawa, mm-hmm. and uh, which apparently has a jazz scene. <laughs> There, I think we've started this on an antagonistic enough note. Um, but seriously, I, I really know nothing at all about what the scene is like in Ottawa, which is where you're making your home and, and making your career. So, And I'm going to guess that maybe many listeners to this show don't know anything about it either. So give us a sketch of well, jazz in Ottawa. Ottawa, it's a funny place to be a jazz artist because it's, it's a very small, homey community. Everybody knows everybody else, even though it's a city of a million people. And... We don't. We have a jazz program in the university, uh, Carleton University, but people tend to go to Montreal or Toronto or Boston or New York to study jazz, so a lot of the young people leave. And there's pros and cons to this. If you're there studying jazz, then you have a lot more performance opportunity than you would if you go to New York. Uh, but there's less people to, to play with, less people to learn from, I guess. Yeah. Well, and what's caused you to decide to, to make your stand there? Well, I, I grew up there. And my family's there, and I went to school not for music, so I didn't have to leave in the first place. I've never left, I guess. This is my, being in New York now is the first time. So I don't know, I didn't really decide to stay in Ottawa, I just stayed. (laughs) And, I mean, I guess one of the reasons that most people come to places like New York is kind of to be thrown into that cauldron where all of the best people at what you do are here, and so you can kind of constantly be testing yourself and be meeting new musicians, which I'm guessing is something you... You probably can't get in the same way in Ottawa, but there's probably something that replaces it, right? Something that is there that you also like, that causes uh, you not to decide, all right, I'm going to go to... New yeah, well, what I like about it is I found people that I enjoy playing with. Yeah. And I, what I also like is that because there aren't a lot of people innovating, when you have a crazy idea, you can do it, and there's nobody stopping you, and there's lots of resources. You can do whatever you want. You can start a concert series. You can start a musical, theater, cabaret, band, hour, whatever. It's like you can do whatever you want because there's not a lot of competition. So that's what's keeping me there, I guess. Right. <laughs> You're, um, uh, we should point out that we actually know one another, which will become obvious, I think, during the course <laughs> yeah. of this interview. We're actually friends. Um, your CD, Let's Call It a Day, has kind of an interesting origin story in that it wasn't really like... A, a thing you decided months in advance, let's go into the studio and make a record. Will you tell people about this album? It's kind of a long story, but uh, <laughs> well, it depends on how far back I should start. I guess Renee Jolie and I had been playing together for a little while at you know, gigs and things, and we had, uh, we had gotten a gig at a biker bar, and that was a whole other story that I will maybe tell one day. Uh, <laughs> And we decided to put a bunch of material together for it, and we we had picked The Look of Love, which is the first track on the record, for that collection because the audience was mostly my family, and I knew they weren't going to know a lot of jazz standards, but they were going to know that. So we picked that, and we liked the arrangement so much. The audience at the biker bar was mostly your family? I feel like we're missing some key details of this event. (laughs) Most of the... See, the biker bar is in, like, the southern part of... It's, like, outside of Ottawa, in the rural area and much of my extended family is from the rural area so they were doing me a favor by being there none of them really care about jazz but they care about me and that's what's you know important in an audience I guess so anyway we liked the look of love's arrangement so much that we decided to record it and once we had recorded that 
we just decided to keep recording songs, and then six months later, we had enough material for a record. Never let me go. Love me much too much. If you let me go, life would lose its touch. What would I be without you? There's no place for me without you. Never let me go. I'd be so lost if you went away. There'd be a thousand hours in a day without you. Because of one caress, my world was overturned. At the very start, all my bridges burned by my flaming heart. You'd never leave me, would you? You couldn't hurt me, could you? What made you decide to do it in this particular format? It's really that, you know, the kind of without a net duo format of just voice and guitar. Well, money was one factor. Uh, we did it in Rene Jolie's home studio. And also, we just, it's kind of, duos are a thing in Ottawa. People do duos more than other things. And we enjoyed playing with each other so much, and the layering of guitars and all the different textures that we didn't, we never wanted for more things, mm. you know, for more instruments. What well, what makes you and Renee a good fit? Do you what think? an awkward thing to say, yeah. right? Me and Renee. Yes. <laughs> uh, yesterday, I will say just to bust in. Yesterday, I heard someone in the Green Fig, the, where I am all the time, say, "We had a great sandwich." She was talking to someone else, and she said, "We had a great sandwich the other day." She said, and then she said, "I mean, my husband and I, not my other personality." And I. <laughs> That's great. Which your two Renee's thing reminds me. Yeah, it's a little bit weird and cumbersome, but most people think it's like a gimmick. Like we're (laughs) that one of your name is not actually Renee. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the reason we work so well together is Renee is such a a creative and interesting person. He's not like kind of stuck in the jazz idioms. Like he's a classically trained guitarist, and and a lot of his arrangements are influenced by that. But he's also kind of a goofball and sort of a flamboyant character. He's going to kill me for saying that, but <laughs> but he is, and he knows it. And we just always were laughing and really got along really well, and we have a lot of fun playing together. Every time we play a tune together, it's different. It's a lot of fun. Now, you and I have talked about this, uh, about... <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> it is literally like they are constructing a building Cody right Island in the Avenue room. is a yeah. very noisy <laughs> avenue. I haven't slept in two months. <laughs> Oh, it's crazy. I cannot believe how loud it is out there. Um, but you and I have talked about the... Uh, people will have, because they're listening to this show, they will have just heard the sound of your singing voice. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this idea about, uh, I mean, you're someone in your 20s, and you you know, you know, don't kind of present yourself in like the standard jazz singery way. And... Which I think is cool, and I think is one of the things that's refreshing about the way you move through the world. But um, but I know it's not necessarily the easiest way 
to move through the world. Can you <laughs> can you talk about that a little bit about kind of how you're fashioning who you are as oh, a Oh my performer? goodness, I don't know. This is everyone's <laughs> going to know about my neuroses. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. we're f- 7 minutes in, I think they know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a funny thing. I mean, I guess I'm not, I don't have the like doe-eyed cover on my record and I'm not, you know, what's the word when there's a a sexy woman like, uh, anyway, I don't even know the word. That's how far (laughs) removed I am from that scene. But I I just, you can't be anything but yourself, you know, and I, I guess the reason I'm struggling so much is because I have no idea who I am (laughs) and who does when they're in their 20s. And every day I kind of decide... I'm going to do a different project, but then I move in a different direction. And, and so this record is very much a snapshot of where I was when we recorded it. And I'm different now than, than this. But I wouldn't change it. I mean, it's nice. It's kind of a historical, you know, it's a piece of my life. So to answer your question, I have no idea. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, you said you're very different than this, but I know you're still very impassioned about singing standards and about this is true. that that part of the jazz idiom which is well, I mean, which to be honest i always find a little challenging for people of our of our generation <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny let's say for anybody under like 50 or 60 so in other words people who did not grow up where the music that you're singing was in any way in the popular sphere i mean right. this a lot of the music, there's original music on this record too, but the the music that is standard is from, you know, most of a century before sure. you were around. And so I always, I always find it interesting to wonder why someone your age would have a connection with that music and would decide, like, this is where, this is the ground I'm going to walk on for now. I get asked this question a lot. And the short answer is that this is the music that resonates with me. These are the songs that that make me excited to sing. But there's more to it than that. You know, when I uncover a new standard that I hadn't heard before, it makes me feel like like an archaeologist, you know, and you get excited when you find a different standard that you haven't heard before, and it's a whole wealth of information that you're gaining. It's different than, than perhaps composing, but it's equally exciting. You know, that's why it's like the beautiful... There's just something about this music that you don't get from perhaps popular music today. There's like, you know, beautiful melodies and really beautiful lyrics and harmony that complements all of it. And I just, I don't hear it anywhere else. This makes me really excited to sing. I will just let the fact that you've just erased all of the contributions of modern composers swing by us into the the breeze. Uh, You know, because I'm, I'm sure that when I'm your age, I will feel the same way about modern music. But I should also just chime in and say this is what's accessible to me. That others, like the, all the modern composers who are wonderful, don't get me wrong, like I'm not going to knock Stevie Wonder because he didn't write jazz standards. That's not, that music is not accessible to me in the way that this music is. Sure. And (laughs) we'll also let it go that a 23 year old just name checks Stevie Wonder as an example (laughs) of a modern composer. You do know it's 2011, Uh, right? (laughs) I'm living in the past. I know, I know time moves differently in Canada, but it's actually the (laughs) 20, well, we are well into the 21st century. The question for me always comes back to, and I have my own agenda on this and I'll, it's going to come out in the question, but what is the point of singing this music anymore at all? What is the point of still singing standards? Wow, that's a borderline offensive question. Good. Um, what is the point? Because it makes me feel good? I don't think I need to say more than that. Yeah. I do it because it's something I enjoy to do. And interpreting standards is what makes me want to get up in the morning. Cool. Period. Period. 
You work so damn hard at your job all day. The boss man's watching. There's no time to play. You should jump in your car. Come on, ride home. You know I'm waiting. You'll never be alone. And I say, baby, let's call it a day. And I say. Let's call it a day. I've got my hair pulled back and my ties too tight. I work that overtime every night, but there are bills to pay. No end in sight. Say the words, make me feel alright, and you say, baby, let's call it a day. As someone who's going to try to kind of forge your own career, is there some way in which choosing this repertoire? Like sets you up against everything that's come Absolutely. before you in a really challenging way. Of course, I don't think I haven't like in reviews been told like just quit now because you're never going to be Ella Fitzgerald. <laughs> but that doesn't matter. Even if I never make a record that is anywhere in the sphere of you know of quality that the greats were, it doesn't matter because I'm doing what I love. Sure, that's all. Yeah. So if you don't like it, well then you can kindly. <laughs> Expletive deleted. <laughs> this isn't the radio, by the way, so you don't have to. I can curse? Yeah, of course. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that'll get soundbited for everything that you do from now on. Yeah. Renee Hobson tells world to fuck off. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to put in nicer words, like, you know, kindly go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, so tell me about um, some of the song choices that you guys... Uh, made for this record, which I think perfectly fit kind of who you are, but there's such a wealth of stuff to choose from. You mean how they were chosen? Yeah. Well, they all, each each track has a different story. You know, each track, they were all chosen sort of disconnected to each other, and we had to sort of arrange them so they fit. I mean, I learned a lot in the process of making this record, and if I was to do it again, I probably would do it with a more, like, cohesive theme. But at the time, we picked songs... Like, Willow Weep for Me, for instance, is the second track on the record. That was picked by Rene Jolie. I didn't pick that tune at all. He was the one who said, you really got to do this tune. You're going to love it. Trust me, we're going to do it like a super down-home country song. And I said, okay, whatever. That song has a curse on it, so I'm not going to record that song. stream that runs to sea Listen to my plea Listen willow and weep for me Gone my lover's dream 
lovely summer dream God had left me here To weep my tears into a stream Sad as I can be Hear me, willow and weep And he convinced me. So that, like, that's the story of that tune. So we'd have to go through them all individually. Why does that song have a curse on it? Well... Some songs, for me, I don't know if other singers experience this, have curses on them, which means every time you go to sing them, like the same mistake keeps happening or something that you've tried to correct, it just never, it never happens. So it just, it's, there's ghosts living in it that don't want it to be performed. So for me, Willow Weep for me always had a curse on it. And every time I perform it, I would finish and be like, never again. Why don't I just remember about the curse? And then like another song that was cursed for me was uh, Teach Me Tonight. Yeah, that has a curse on it. I don't. I don't do it anymore. But he lifted the curse. So. So do you sing Willow Weep for me now? With him, Live? Oh, not with, with anybody him. else. Okay. He lifted the curse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not superstitious, but except for this one thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> can you talk a little bit about how the two of you got together? Yes, I can. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we met at a wedding that we were both hired on. Okay. Um. Actually, I think we were both hired on a wedding, and then we met just before the wedding to get together and rehearse some material. Uh, and it was a really funny band because the two of us like really jived with the rest of the band. Like we did not get, the two of us did not get along with the rest of the band at all that night. So we were, we kindred spirits in our discomfort. And so we just kept uh, hanging out after that. So it's, that's kind of how people meet in Ottawa. You know, they get hired on the same gig as somebody else. And then you realize that they're friends with all of your friends and, you, you, it was just a matter of time before you met them. Yeah. Not like it here where there's like really distinct pockets in New York and people n- might never meet. In Ottawa, you will meet everyone and you probably are going to play with them too. It's weird. Oh, which sounds nice though. I mean, it's it's great to have a real a real knowledge of kind of who's out there and what resources oh, yeah. are available. I'm an encyclopedia of Ottawa jazz knowledge. But yeah, there's just, you know, if there's any drama, it's like a big problem. <laughs> right. You know, there's no secrets, so you got to be an honest person and a nice person, which is nice, but yeah. not everybody is. Yeah. You said there's a lot of duo stuff that happens in, in Ottawa. Is that a factor of economics or is it cultural Mostly economics. Or? There are some bigger band projects. I mean, we have like a nine-piece parade band, and they are doing very well against all odds, and I hope they kind of encourage bigger and bigger bands to, to make it, in the jazz scene anyway. I mean, in the rock scene, there's like tons of five-piece sure. whatever bands. But yeah, economics kind of dictate that all the background gigs and restaurant gigs and a lot of the corporate gigs are kind of duos and trios, mostly duos. And what are the venues like? Venues vary. We have one or two kind of stage jazz venues and a lot of restaurants and then a lot of corporate work because it's a government town. We have the parliament buildings and a bunch of government bodies and everybody, everybody has had a government job or is in a... I've had a government job. I mean, everybody. It's crazy. (laughs) It's a really weird scene. (laughs) Now that you've been here for a couple of months and you've had a chance to, to take some lessons and study with some singers here in New York, and what's that experience been like for you? It's been really, really good. It's been really wonderful. I've met some very interesting teachers. I studied with Janet Lawson when I first got here, and she was the, the she was my te- my first teacher's teacher. So I studied with Tina Palmer in Toronto, and Tina also studied with Janet Lawson. And she was so warm and wonderful, and we had a couple of lessons, uh, and I studied with Karen uh, Nimariala. And she's an operatic soprano who teaches from her apartment in New York and her apartment in Paris. So we had a really great lesson, and I hope to take one more with her before... I think she's going to get back from Paris just before I leave, so hopefully we'll have one more. And I studied with um, John McNeil, 
that was great. We learned all about improvisation and gave me some real good practice tips. And then Peter Eldridge, uh, and we talked about more practice tips and my speaking voice and all that stuff. So I've, I have so much information I need to digest now. I just feel like I'm going to go in the woodshed and never leave. Well, you tell people a little bit about the, I think it's called musical lasagna thing that Janet Lawson had you do. It was really fascinating. You showed me the, uh, kind of while it was in progress. It was Yeah. Cool. Well, I don't know if she has like a copyright out of this idea <laughs> and everyone's going to know, but I'll tell you as long as she gets the credit. Um, she was gave me some exercises to learn how to improvise or how to, how to uh, internalize changes so that you can more readily improvise over them in a more honest and kind of sporadic way as opposed to memorized licks. So what she had me do was learn the bass notes to a tune. So I picked there will never be another you and record them. And then over that record the melody and then record roots and thirds and then roots thirds fifth and then roots thirds fifth seventh. And then once you have all these different tracks, you have like a, a sandwich or a lasagna or whatever of all your different recorded tracks. And it really does a number on your brain. It's very interesting to have all these notes swirling around when you when you go ahead and perform the tune. I'm at a point with that tune now where when I go to perform it, I draw a blank because I, I've kind of been overshedding it, so I kind of need to step back from it for a little bit. Sure. And then oh, I think when I come back to it, it'll, it'll be an interesting experience. But is the point of that supposed to be to really explore the relationships between the various pitch possibilities? What it's tune? supposed to do is to give you all the options... The, harmon- the cor- correct, quote-unquote, harmonic options what to choose from when you go to improvise. So that when you pick a note, you're picking a chord tone or you're deciding to not pick a chord tone. Sure. Uh, but you're making those decisions rather than singing a lick that you memorize that you know goes over top of this tune. And that's a, it's a different thing for me. Like I'm kind of more in the lick zone, but I'm starting to move into the choosing chord tones logically based on what my ear hears. But you really have to you have to stretch your ears and you have to practice every day, you know, to get it in your mind. And when you're talking about improvisation, are you talking about like wordless vocal improvisation or yes, wordless. Okay. Yeah. And paraphrasing, I should say. I mean I do a lot more paraphrasing than I do wordless improvisation. Uh, but it's the same thing. Meaning what by paraphrasing? Oh, like taking the melody and the words and singing them in your own way. Okay. Yeah. That, that is of of my preferred form of improvisation. But I also like wordless improvisation. Candy, I call my sugar candy Because I'm sweet on candy And candy's sweet on me She understands me, my understanding candy, and candy's always handy when I need sympathy. I wish that there were four of her, so I could love much more of her. She has taken my complete heart. I mean, I a lot of people refer to wordless improvisation kind of under like that scat label, yeah, I just which hate has that its word own. Yeah, so it's, much. <laughs> not just because it also means poop, but you know. <laughs> no, that's the only reason why I don't like it. <laughs> but that word has so many negative connotations that that go along. It's it just also a sounds word. like such a fifties beatnik, like yeah, yeah, scat, yeah. 
but there is this really vibrant world and a hugely varied world of vocal improvisation. Um, like I, I only recently got exposed to, uh, or I actually got a chance to see, I've heard her music for years, but to see Jay Clayton, um, you know, who just takes vocal improvisation in this whole other universe. Yeah, she's I just amazing. listened to your interview with her yesterday and I hadn't really heard any of her out stuff. I'd only heard, she did Freedom Jazz Dance, and I heard that and a couple of other tunes, but I'm definitely going to dig into her more out stuff. Have you ever explored that world as a as a singer? Uh, you know, it's funny. Yes, I have, but not in the sphere of my professional life. Okay. When I was 17, I was part of a a free improv group called the Society for the Exploration of Unusual Musics. That's good. And you're not going to find that in any of my bios. <laughs> It took place every Friday uh, afternoon in a town called Clayton, which is about an hour. If you head west from the downtown heart of Ottawa, it takes an hour to drive there, even a little more. And we would get together. It was me and three guys, and they were all older than me by like 50 years. Like I was very much younger than everyone else. But we would just have some tea, and they would smoke some pot, and then we'd like record all of us playing free and i would play with my saxophone and uh with my voice and i think like i don't do it anymore i could but it doesn't really motivate me but i think that going through that in my youth <laughs> was uh really important because it got rid of a lot of my inhibitions about making sounds that you think are ugly or whatever it was so it was so important in my musical development and do you find that uh even if not directly that that somehow informs what you do now sure absolutely i still have the recordings from that <laughs> band on my computer now <laughs> they're awful <laughs> but i i feel nostalgic when i listen sure to <laughs> you're not gonna be releasing them as the b-sides uh, of any no, records i think that that group is still together and they still perform and they That's still great. do things i met them at jazz camp actually when you participated in groups together so That's it was very amazing. nice yeah fun times how did you get introduced to the music that you sing well, I played the saxophone in grade seven, eight, and all through high school. And uh, I was in the jazz band in grade eight, and I guess that's where I first started hearing the music. Um, but, I did, but I didn't start singing until I was 16. And I discovered jazz singing, I guess. Oh, it's kind of a two, there was kind of two ways in. I went to this jazz camp called Jazz Works, which is near Ottawa. It's a great camp. I went for five years. But the first year I went for sax, and I was a awful saxophone player. I could play concert sax really well, but I really sucked at jazz. And I went and I met some singers and I saw them singing. I remember in my mind the first night I went to the open jam and there was two singers there, good friends of mine now, Jerry Trimble and Sonny Weiderman. And they were singing Satin Doll like at the top of their lungs. I was like entranced by them and I knew then that I wanted to sing. And then the other way is I, I started listening to vocal jazz a lot because I was... Uh, I don't know if you remember the program Casa. Do you remember Casa? It's like LimeWire. It was like a peer-to-peer -peer oh, right, sharing right, right. client. I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, so I would. I got interested in some of the music we were doing at school, so I went to look for it. And in Casa, you can you can browse the entire collection of people's, like whatever, if I put all my collection on the computer and like point people to my directory, they can search and browse and take whatever they want. They don't have to search by name. They can just open files. So I would go into jazz collectors' collections and take everything. And so I got a lot of classic music that way and I got exposed to a lot of, I mean, I buy music now because I know <laughs> like the people I listen to like need the money, but then it was like, you know, Ella's not going to care if I steal her entire works. Right. But, <laughs> but you know, 
I learned a lot about music that I might not have been exposed to otherwise. And a lot of jazz, like instrumental records, I still have them, tons of them that I got off Casa when I was 15 or 16. The moon and stars, soft jazz guitars, warm night following a day of wine and coos and gentle woos, sweet moments so cliché. A soft embrace, a kiss, a taste, a glance, frozen in time, a heart's loud thump, a fresh goosebump, a lover that says. Did you know already that you could sing, but you just hadn't considered singing jazz? I mean, did you, did you sing in other contexts? Or yeah, was... I did, actually. I think, well, the very first time I performed on stage, I was three years old, sang Frosty the Snowman uh, <laughs> in front of my whole school. But, and then from there, it was like a lot of different little performances. I was in the drama club and the choir, and I did, you know, I did musical theater when I was like in grade eight, so I guess I was 11 or 10. And that was the first time I was singing on stage, you know, I sang "You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch," one of the Christmas <laughs> plays. But I didn't sing jazz until until, like I said, after I met the singers at Chaz Camp. And did it help that you had been a horn player? Did that help your approach too? Yeah, because voice? I could read music. I also took piano lessons. I found that I was able to teach myself standards because I could read the music and just hammer out the melodies on the piano. So that, yeah, absolutely, it helped. And I've talked to horn play or to uh, singers who say they try to integrate themselves kind of more like horn players into the bands they play in, rather than, you know, being out front with accompanists, but more like being part of the band. I wonder if you was that an effect of being a horn player first? Or? No, I don't think so because I was never a jazz horn player. I was sure. a concert horn player. So like. It wasn't. They were such different things in my mind. Right. And I, I mean, I always want to integrate myself into a band, like in the way that a horn player does. But I still think that singers have a different thing, because we have words, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I have mixed feelings on the answer to that question. One thing I've learned about since uh, knowing you here in New York is that there's this entire vocal jam scene <laughs> that I, I had no idea even existed. Can you can you tell folks about that? Because I'm sure a lot of people have never heard about yeah, the stuff that you go to. It's totally interesting. I didn't even know. But when I got here, I heard about there's a vocal jam at uh, Cleopatra's Needle. Two vocal jams there a week. One on Sunday and one on Wednesday. I think it's Sunday one's 4 o'clock to 8 o'clock. And uh, the Wednesday one's at 7. But you got to go early. You sign up. Those are they're packed. There's like 20 people there. It's crazy. I mean, 20 singers in a row, each doing two tunes. Can you imagine that? Wow. Yeah. It's, it's really something. And then there's a jam. I haven't gone to a couple of them. I never went to Birdland for the cast party. I never went to Salon Sundays at et cetera, et cetera, which is near Birdland. Um, and I, I did go to the Metropolitan Room on Fridays, which was so fun with Jenna Esposito. She's wonderful. She bakes cookies. She gives you sparkles. Everyone goes up and does a tune, and it's super friendly and fun, and there's, like, a really great band and a really nice lighting system and everything. And it makes you feel, like, really like you're performing, you know? It's really cool. I often feel like vocalists kind of have it the hardest when it comes to sitting in, because <laughs> I think they're the least respected by other musicians. And, you know, when the vocalist goes to 
goes up to sit in. I mean, you can almost like often see the reaction at jam sessions. Has that? I mean, has that led to like the creation of these kind of vocalist friendly places where yeah. people can just get together and not feel like <laughs> absolutely second class citizens? But I, you know, it's I don't want to like say anything negative because it's not my style. <laughs> but uh, I think that yes, you're right. But unfortunately, a lot of like the the feelings, the negative feelings that these vocalists have is kind of carried through to these some of these jams. So some days you get a great day where everyone's the friendliest you've ever seen and they're all wonderful. But I've heard stories of kind of a little bit of cattiness and, you know, people kind of feel defensive and competitive because they have to fight so hard to be taken seriously. And I don't blame anybody for feeling defensive. I mean, eventually you got to get over it. But, I, you know, it's so sometimes... It's a double-edged sword. Like in Metropolitan Room, no vibes. It's the vibe-freest zone ever. I love it. So that's a lot of fun. And some of these, it sounds like these sessions bring people from the Broadway world too, right? Not just it's from- so cabaret. Most people aren't in the traditional sense of the word, like a vocalist. Like they don't study voice. A lot of them uh, have recorded at one point in their life or they used to sing or they're reliving. Like there are a lot of older people, especially Cleopatra's Needle. It's much an older crowd. Um, I actually haven't seen like tons of young singers who are studying music because those people tend to go to the the instrumental jams because their friends know them, so it's not a big deal when they right. go to sit in. I mean, I'm a stranger, so I had to sort of meet people. And but as soon as you open your mouth and say anything, if you count someone in, like they know, they know right away that you know what you're doing. So it's not. I mean, I don't think it's as big a deal as some people make it out to be nowadays. Sure. You also uh, have a science background. You have a physics degree. And, That's true. Uh, and I've. I've seen some of the things that you read about the science of singing and the kind of physicality of it, which seems like something you're pretty interested in. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah. I've, I've read a few books on, like, the anatomy. I mean, the science books that I read about voice are so different from what I studied because I studied physics. And I don't study acoustics when it comes to music because I find that topic incredibly boring. <laughs> oh. But I want to know about the structure of my instrument. I really want to be as aware of what's going on in my own body because I can't... It's not like I can hold it up and look at it, or I can't replace it. Like, I have to know, because I'm using it every day. So that's, that's why I'm interested, because I really want to really know. <laughs> and have you learned things that you can kind of practically apply as a singer? Well, I mean, not like on stage, but when I'm practicing, yeah. And I know how to take care of myself when I'm sick, and I know how to prevent illness and prevent wearing tear and whatever from happening, because I only get one larynx <laughs> right yeah and do you find that uh kind of over the years you've changed the physical approach to singing as you've totally. studied totally multiple times actually <laughs> when i first started singing like on stage with bands i was singing in a rock band called gorgeous george and that was a wonderful summer but i lost my voice after every show and it wasn't that long of a show it was two hours tops and i i really had to work hard to change the way that things were happening inside my body and now i can you know, do an eight-hour day of singing, and that tires me up, but I'm not going to lose my voice. I remember a guitarist friend of mine telling me once, years ago, that most guitar players, uh, I guess maybe not professionals, but most people learning to play guitar play with, like, ten times the pressure on the strings that they need. And I wonder if that's the same with voice, that you find you can do more with less as you become more aware of how the instrument actually works. I mean, it's different for everybody. For me, that was totally the case, because I was... My very first vocal influence was Etta James, and I just wanted to sing like a big, loud, black woman. And I had a teacher who was like, we got to find your voice, and that is not it. And so I spent a lot of time trying to find out what I sound like, and I had to come back and be much softer, much, 
lighter, and that's that's helpful <laughs> to not hurt yourself. But I've had students who were so shy they couldn't have any voice, and we had to work to make them have more, more volume and more weight in their voice. Besides that, it helps you like sleep indoors and eat. What do you like about teaching? Well, yeah, the money's good. But I, <laughs> you know, I never thought that I would be into teaching music because you know. I had really bad imposter syndrome when I first got on the scene. Like, oh my God, I don't have a perfect, like a music education the way that some people do. And I don't know how to, what have I taught anybody? Uh, but imposter syndrome is just a joke. You just got to get over it. Because now that I teach, it's so fulfilling. Like, I really love connecting with my students. It's reaffirmed everything I know about singing. I just, I think they're wonderful. They're, I've learned something from each of them, and they all have different needs. So I never, I never go in with a game plan. I just have to let it happen, you know? And singing especially, it's not like other things. Like when you teach piano, it's pretty much you're just going to teach them how to play piano, you know? But with singing, I've had students come to me who have never listened to music before. So we haven't, I've, I haven't even sung a lick with them. We've just been listening to music and identifying instruments. And other people are writing songs, but they're not, they're having trouble connecting emotionally. So we have to like, dig into their psyche and I mean you don't get that from other kinds of lessons it's it's totally interesting how do how do people like why why do you think people come to like for example the people who've never listened to music before what are they what are they there for oh they're an interesting I have a couple of students like this they're usually kind of older and they're trying to reinvent themselves or find themselves in a way that they haven't connected before so they usually have day jobs I have one woman who came to me and literally the day of her consultation with me, she's like, I just quit my government job. I, I had, here's my box of stuff. So she's, you know, getting ready to start a business. And she wants to have a really strong voice because she's a CEO of her own company now. And she wants to sing because it's something she's never done before. And this is what life is all about for her right now is doing things she's never done before. And same with the other student I have who's like that, had never really listened to music, just wants to, but always felt like it was something in her, in her that she hadn't accessed. So we're working on that. It's so fun. And does it matter whether, I, I guess it depends on their goals too, but does it matter whether the pe people can actually sing to get something out of voiceless? No, not at all. Because, it, I mean, it's just t to sing. What does that even mean? Can they sing? Of course they can sing. Everybody can sing. Can they sing well? Well, that depends on what you like, you know? <laughs> can they sing without hurting themselves? That's something we can work on. So, n no, this is the short answer to that question. <laughs> The more I'm with you, pretty baby The more I feel my love increase I'm building all my dreams around you Our happiness will never cease But nothing's any good without you Cause baby, you're my centerpiece We'll buy a house and garden somewhere Along a country road apiece A little cottage on the outskirts Where we can really find relief but nothing's any good without you. Down the road, I mean, it sounds from our conversations outside of this conversation, like for a while at least you're going to continue to make Ottawa your home base. Do you have some idea about 
uh, like some some milestones or, or kind of landmarks of things that you want to get to as you are moving down the road? I really should, I suppose. I was just thinking yesterday, I really got to sit down and write like a five-year plan. I don't know, really. I want to make more records. And I'm it's slowly coming together in my mind what it is I want to do on the next one. But there's places in Ottawa I want to perform still, people I want to perform with. There's things in Canada that I want to do, like I want to get some grants and I want to make some more music and I want to volunteer. I have, like This is a whole other side of me, but I really want to start volunteering in Ottawa at a women's shelter. So I'm starting that in September, so I'm not going to leave because I have 40 hours of training before I can even volunteer. So I'll be there at least another year. But I think I can safely say I'll probably be there for at least five more years because I travel between Montreal and Toronto and all the time. They're so close. Ottawa's a great place to be because you have these hubs on either side of you. I can't see any reason to leave. You know, Canada's interesting geographically because it's so wide, but almost everybody lives along the border. The border yeah. right? um, is it is it easy to have kind of a, a national career in that sense? I mean, it seems like they would just like much like being here. I and mean, if you're a New York musician, it's kind of a pain in the neck if you want to tour like Texas and Colorado and California. Yeah, and everything. but touring in the states is so easy. What are you talking about? It's like you can do five cities in like a day. <laughs> They're all so close. It's like for me, once I get to. Thunder Bay, the next city is 17 hours away. And wow. It's like the worst drive ever. <laughs> <laughs> Better bring a tent because there's no right. stay. Um, that's an exaggeration, of course. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing about Canada, well, there's lots of nice things about Canada, but in particular... Oh, th this is the one, so go ahead. <laughs> Make it good. Yeah, it's a really, because it's a small country with a lot of national pride for the, I mean... There is a lot of national pride for the arts, contrary to what some political bodies believe. Um, they have things set up to support Canadian artists, you know, like so there's a certain percentage of Canadian content or CanCon that has to be played on the radio. So you have a better chance of getting played on Canadian radio than if you're competing. Like if we didn't have those things in place, Americans would come in and take over the joint. You know, we also have a like, government granting body and then we have grants at the, so we have grants at the federal level and the provincial level and then at the city level, there's grants. So that's great. And in, like, smaller communities, you have a much better chance of getting some notoriety, getting an article published about you or whatever. And then when you do decide to go to a bigger city, you have a ton of press behind you. So, you know, they, you're not just coming in like a newborn baby, you know? Right. Yeah, you, uh, will you talk about how you actually got here to New York? That was through uh, not well, just your own, some, your own initiative also, but yeah, something else. Yeah, the reason I'm, well, one of the, the things that helped me fund this trip was I won an award called the uh, the Astral Emerging Artist Award and it's a they give it out to like 10 people a year this was the first year they did it uh, but it's money that was given to the National Arts Center by Astral Radio they gave them three million dollars to give out to people which is a commercial radio station in Canada yes okay. it is I think it's a private station but they are amazing wonderful people they gave the, the NEC three million dollars to fund their education programs and to give out as awards then the education programs are really wonderful so I participated in the Manhattan on the Rideau series which is a video link uh, master class between Ottawa and the Manhattan School of Music so I was chosen to participate when Peter Eldridge was leading the class and Theo Blackman, and because I participated there, I was eligible for this award, and I won it. Thank goodness! And I got to do a nice concert and meet a bunch of lovely people, and they gave me a thousand dollars, so that paid for the rent. I mean, I didn't have to spend it on the trip, but I found this apartment, and the timing worked out, and the money came at the right time, and it was so obvious that I should go. The Why? Fates were telling the fates were telling me. I don't know. It was just seemed like I had the time and the money. It was. 
like I couldn't say no. There was no reason to say not go. You know, if I had a gig, I could have justified staying, but I had, I had nothing all summer lined up, you know. And what did you think you would get out of coming here? Well, two things. Um, two broad things and a lot of little things. I really wanted to study with people. And I've come here before to study, and it was sort of a medium successful trip. But I really wanted to, to meet people and start a relationship with New York. Because Ottawa and New York have very strong ties. There's lots of people from Ottawa who make the pilgrimage to New York every month to study with people. And musicians come up and participate in our concert series. And, you know, we, have, we do recordings with people from New York. And a lot of people have lived there at some point and have come back to Ottawa. So I knew that I wanted to start a relationship with this city and meet nice people. But also, it, it's, uh, it excites people in Ottawa to see their artists doing that. And then coming home, you know, because a lot of times people go and they never come back. And right. <laughs> the, you know, the Canada Council for the Arts does not want to fund those people because <laughs> they want you to come back. Right. But it's really exciting for, like, my fans and my family and friends to see me going off and, and doing something that most people don't get a chance to do, because you know, for whatever reason. So when I come back, you know, people want to know what I did. And even when I just started the rumor that I was going to Brooklyn... I mean, because I, you know, there's no proof for anybody else. It was just a rumor. People were like interviewing me and writing articles about me. Like, oh, I should, I should start rumors more often. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm pregnant. Oh. Uh, yeah. Every year there'll be a new story about yeah. a place that you're going. <laughs> I'm going to prison. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. And so, do you feel like uh, we talked about this a little bit in the beginning? But do you feel like you're going back with some kind of more? either more ideas about how to approach your craft than you had before you came? Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, one of the big reasons I wanted to come, and people have made fun of me for this because they're like, you came to New York to practice? But I really wanted to learn how to practice because since I graduated from physics, it's been tough to like focus or force myself to do things that I don't want to do. And I want to practice, but when you're in physics, I mean, you're working more than you want to work. And so for a whole year, I didn't do anything. I don't even know what I did. I just, I don't remember. You know, I laid around and I hung out with my friends and I went to see shows and I sang, but I didn't like practice in the way that some people sit in the shed and do patterns or whatever. And then after that, I started building up a practice routine because I wanted to do it after taking a year off. Um, and I got up to about two hours a day. But I know people, I mean, how many hours a day did Charlie Parker practice? Granted, he was coked up but I think that I could do a fraction of what he did so I wanted to get to like five hours I thought with presumably a fraction of the cocaine or <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, just help me your career along yeah, I I can do <laughs> yeah but I couldn't I found it tough to to build up that stamina while performing and while teaching and, mm. and seeing my family and seeing my friends and stuff like that so being kind of in isolation really helped me build the stamina and now I can do like three or four hours, no problem, and I just have to push myself for the last hour, which is totally a lot more doable. And it's my full-time job. It's, it's what I should be doing, you know, practicing for five hours a day. And now that you've established this, do you think you can transfer it kind of back to your life, Absolutely. your regular life? In oh, yeah, yeah. Now I know. Because what happens before is you get through your warm-ups, and then it's like, well, what do I want to do? I don't know. Maybe I'll just look at my RSS feeds, and it'll come to me. But it doesn't come to you. So now that I know what it is I want to do, and I have a lot of things to choose from, I can just pick one and go. It's not... It's not even a question anymore. It's so much easier. And when you're easier. saying what I want to do, you mean you know particular things you want to work on. Yeah. I have a whole list, and I know how to work on them. Before, I was like, well, I know I want to work on this, kind of, but I don't know how to get there. So the teachers I've studied with helped me out with that. And the time spent in the shed has really like taught me what works and what doesn't work. 
and I've started writing a little more, and like it's just been really nice to have time by myself. I've let this go by in this show five thousand times, and I never. I, every time it happens, and I am editing the show afterwards, I always think I should really tell people what the phrase "in the shed" or "in the woodshed" means, <laughs> because it's been used on this show a thousand times, and it, it literally just means it is like a colloquialism for going into the woodshed, into a quiet place where you wouldn't bother anyone, and just practicing all the That's time. That's where you go to sharpen your axe. Exactly, and musicians all the time on this show say <laughs> "shedding." That's really hard to say. All the time on this show say "shedding," and I never. <laughs> I can't got through that twice. I'm pretty proud of myself, <laughs> especially after the intro I recorded last night, uh, the yesterday's episode. Uh, but they say that all the time, and I never define it. But anyway, that's what now that's we all what it know. Means. So anyone who listens to this episode will know, and everyone else is. You in should the just dark. do a whole that's episode fine. of jazz terminology. <laughs> jazz terminology. <laughs> the jazz dictionary. I'm sure that would be fascinating. <laughs> I'm just going to work into the woodshed, into inappropriate places in all my conversations. Oh dear! Now, I, oh, I better go into the woodshed on that. <laughs> What does that even mean? I have no idea. Well, in Williamsburg, you probably actually could go into a woodshed since you can buy an artisanal axe. <laughs> in Williamsburg, there have to be some which I firmly believe. We have to record an episode of this show in an actual woodshed. I don't even know where I started saying that. Some of these slang words you just pick up. And some slang is colloquial to places. Like in Ottawa, they don't sure. say session. What do they call it? Jams. Or just hanging out. We don't have sessions. Yeah, I have noticed that, actually, that you use the word jam in a way that people around here really don't. don't hear yeah. and we say out the door when other people say like outside because out the door is another way to say outside right but nobody says that here i the in, guy in other words not for the physical act of leaving the inside of some place but describing music, music that is not in yeah not in right. <laughs> <laughs> but out the door is so ridiculous it's my friend steve burnt coined that and it's stuck and now we use it all the time and in montreal they say offside for that same concept? Yeah, sometimes. And for everything, really, it can be used in any sentence. That's great. Because it's yeah. a soccer term? It's a hockey term. Oh, a hockey term. Come on. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Holy Wow, <laughs> I just lost my dual citizenship. <laughs> That's a shame. <laughs> Well, good. I feel like this show is now totally derailed, and that's really nice. That's a beautiful place to to let it rest. Um, my guest is Renee Oxen. It's been uh, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you this summer, and I uh, look forward to what you're going to do in the future. Because thank I like you very much. What you've done so far. Thanks.
till you're caught So make it one for my baby And one more for the road That's music from Renee Oxen and her CD, Let's Call It a Day. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is a member-supported show. If you'd like to become a member, you can do that for as little as $10 a month. Or if you'd like to pay in a yearly sum, you can do it for as little as 110 bucks a year at thejazzsession.com slash join. That's how the show continues. So if you like what you hear, please do become a member. And now, if you would, get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye.